0: Welcome to Cloud Realities, a conversation show. This is so easy in my head. <laughs> Welcome to Cloud Realities, conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities that can be unleashed through cloud driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman.
1: I'm Shaw Kizal.
0: And we don't have Rob Kernahan with us today. He couldn't make this uh, this quick little record where we're just going to put a top and tail around a live event that we did this week at London Microsoft Envision at the Excel Center. It was a good conference, I think. Shaw, what was your what was your perspective?
1: It was a really good conference. Of course it was all about AI, right? That was uh, yep. the, uh, the, the, the biggest topic. But also what I found very interesting is that you see that AI is really uh, being integrated in all sorts of security features, lots of sessions around security and, and AI, and of course Microsoft Copilot, which will be general available from November 1st.
0: Yeah, it, I agree. AI was dominant again, uh, unsurprisingly. So I did think, uh, to your point on security, and a little bit broad more broadly than that that there was a good maturing of topics around it so you know there were there were people talking about ai from an organizational perspective talking about scaling ai in fact the session we're about to introduce we we cover a couple of similar subjects to that so it was it, it was almost moving off first principles ai i thought into into a, a fast maturation curve
1: yeah it's a, it's a, a bit out of the poc projects and now really getting into the business and that's uh that's that's very good
0: yeah i agree one phrase that was being used that stuck out to me was ai transformation so like you know the sort of almost like next next full generation of cloud and digital transformation and then like you know potentially superseded by ai transformation which i thought was quite interesting and i think it's the first time i'd seen it being discussed at that scale
1: yeah yeah totally agree yeah very interesting. Like really looking forward what the uh, the nearby future will bring regarding AI. Yeah.
0: Where are we now? In October 2023. In October 2022, we are barely even talking about this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It
0: is absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, the other big announcement, which I think is also November the first, but don't hold me to that, is uh, Microsoft Fabric, which is like a data and analytics fabric, which can join, uh, I think, multiple data sources together in a way that. Um, that allows you to be a little bit more smaller, agile around bringing these things together, which of course is super important to underpin AI. So yeah, Microsoft Fabric really stuck out to me too.
1: Yeah, yeah that's going to be a huge game changer with uh, large language models on top of it. Yeah.
0: So let's get on to um, what we talked about. We were lucky enough to have uh, three fantastic guests with us. We did a, a conversation on one of the main breakout areas. Uh, so we had John Kearney, who's head of Digital Strategy and Architecture at Scottish Water. We had Giles Walker, the CTO for retail and CPG at Microsoft itself, and then we had Steve Webb, the UK CTIO uh, for Capgemini. So we talk about what good experimentation looks like to start with, but then how you scale that out, what the platform might look like, what some of the organizational implications are around it, and then, of course, the sorts of implications that might be had on the humans in organizations. After that, we run through a number of case studies, which I think all illustrate what good experimentation looks like, and then we future gaze a little bit into when we might get to AGI, what the implications are for big, sort of very deep systems like ERP. So it was a good conversation. We enjoyed it very much. So here we all are with Rob and our guests at Microsoft Envision, The Tour, London, 2023. (music) So what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about potential of AI, of course. You might have heard of it. It's absolutely everywhere here. It's been at absolutely every conference that I've been to over the course of the last 12 months. And it's amazing to think about when you wind back just 12 months, it wasn't really in the discourse beyond some you know fairly maybe arcane machine learning chat. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk to a panel of guests Who are going to give three different perspectives on both the potential of AI and the challenge of scaling AI. So there's a lot of chat at the moment about uh, specific point solutions that's good and interesting and we'll have some case studies but actually what do you do next and what could the next challenges be and actually where is AI itself going to go next. So Rob should we get the guests on?
2: Yeah absolutely three great guests today so I'd like to welcome to the stage John Kearney, Head of Digital Strategy and Architecture from Scottish Water. Uh, we have Giles Walker from Microsoft, uh, Global CTO for Retail and CPG, and we have our very own Steve Webb, Cap Gemini UK CTIO. So, welcome. We give everybody a warm welcome. Hello, everyone.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Hello, guys. Good to see you. Hello. Thanks for making the time to join us today. Welcome. In uh, you know such a buzzy, such a buzzy ex- exhibition hall. Um, John, let's come to you first. You just want to say hello and introduce yourself a little bit and just tell everyone a little bit about your day job and maybe Scottish Water.
3: Yeah, sure. Hi, so I'm John Kearney. I head up a digital strategy and architecture. So what does that mean? We define technology strategy. Uh, we do architectural governance, etc. And uh, my job in a nutshell is to try and make sure that we embrace and use the right technologies. Um, we do that at an enterprise scale and we get the most out of them, which I think is getting harder and harder these days with the pace of change and just how much stuff is coming down, not just in AI, but in other areas, and trying to make sure that we don't build up too much technical debt in the process.
0: Looking forward to tucking into that. Giles. <laughs> so, Giles Walker, I'm the global CTO
4: at Microsoft. I look after Unilever from a global perspective, helping them with their industry 4.0 transformation across their 300 factories, from anything from uh, Hellman's mayonnaise to Vaseline and, and shampoo. Hmm. Welcome,
5: and Steve. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Uh, Stephen Webb. I'm our Chief Technology and Innovation Officer at Capgemini. I guess my focus is really that intersection between innovation and technology. How do we help our clients with it? And really, how do we focus on scaling um, and addressing client challenges in the market? And you're also full of cold. I am. Yes. Yeah.
0: I'm doing my best here. So, you do, yeah, so well done for making it on Thank stage. you. I, I, Hope you stick with us for forty-five. Yeah, minutes.
5: yeah. If I fall off the side of the stage, yeah. that's why. Or you just yeah, maybe yeah. just
0: yeah. I'll just give you a nudge. Yeah, if you, yeah. Uh, thank you. Fall asleep. You. Yeah. Thanks for making it, man. So let's let's get cracking then, um, John. Let's let's uh, come to you first now. Obviously, it is the it is the subject of the day. Wherever you go at the moment, whatever magazine you pick up, you can't avoid it. But AI is not brand new, and I know Scottish Water have been looking at it for a, quite a while. So why don't you just take us a little bit through a. a your perspective as a practitioner, what have you, you know, what's your journey with AI been like from a Scottish Water perspective? And um, like for organizations that are maybe looking at it, they've experimented a little bit but maybe not waded into it yet, what should they be doing?
3: I mean, AI as a as a discipline's been around for what, 70, 80 years, I think. I mean, we've been exploiting Uh, machine learning, deep learning for about a decade now. So we've got about 100 algorithms, 100 models that we maintain on a regular basis. And uh, we have been doing that, as I say, on and off for about a decade. Um, We played around with natural language processing as well. We've got one of our models um, focused on asset health. And we use um, pre-ChatGPT NLP in order to give people the ability to try and interact with the model using a language. Um, It's pretty basic. And um, when the large language models reached that level of maturity that they did towards the end of last year and then hit the public consciousness at the start of this year, um, we spoke to Microsoft and said, look, we really like the look of Copilot. We think that's yeah. going, of, uh, yeah. going to give us the ability to then take natural language processing to the next level. And then we embrace...
0: I'm sure there's I'm sure, I'm sure this type of audience probably know co- the, the idea of what Copilot is quite well, but maybe just say like a, a, like a quick... 30 seconds on what it is and, and then how, and what you're doing with it.
3: So I think Microsoft have got Copilot across a number of different areas. The Microsoft 365 Copilot that we, we wanted to get onto their private preview and, and were successful in doing that. That essentially gives you a natural language interface to all of the Microsoft products so, I mean, in your productivity suite. So Teams is probably the most, the most useful one, I think. Right. Um, also works in Word, also works in SharePoint, Excel, etc the business chat function that we saw demoed in a few different sessions today allows you then to span all of those products so imagine having a conversation uh, uh, with that chat bot saying you know tell me what meetings i've got coming up next week and show me the information uh, that's already available so that i can prepare for it and condense it down to something i can read in five minutes not five hours
0: and it's been showing up okay in live sorry has it been showing up okay in
3: live? It has. I mean, this, um, as with any private preview, it's kind of in beta, so there's been problems with it. Yeah. Um, but we've got 300 people using the product. I would say around about 170 of them have demonstrated clear productivity savings right. in using that product over the last three months.
0: Giles, what have you guys been seeing in terms of co-pilot
4: use? <laughs> Very similar to what John was saying. Is the key piece here is, is not trying to deploy it at scale at the start it's trial it and get used to it as I said it's in private preview it still has bugs it's still being tested sure. yeah. and the key bit as well is, is understanding across the different roles whether it's ERP or HR or sales or finance or uh, marketing it's, it's going to act differently depending on what team you're in and how they're going to use it um, to us at Microsoft it's really it's, it's that learning phase at the beginning really try and delve deep into how it's going to work how it's going to change that Business structure that's been going for 40, 50 years now with
0: right. current technology right. is going to fundamentally shift. Well, we're going to come. We're going to come on to some uh, organisational dynamics that change when you introduce technology like this into into your environment in the in the wild at scale. But well, let's return to Scottish Water for now. Uh, sorry, I interrupted you there, John. But let's get back to your story on where you're up to with Copilot and then what you're thinking next.
3: So I think the. I mean the. Co-pilot for Microsoft 365, great. I think um, it's gonna, we've already demonstrated we can get benefit from it. I guess the challenge we've got now is quantifying that benefit and uh, not, not scaring people in the process. So, you know, they, I'll be shaving off hours and hours of people's time during the day. Um, do they want to admit to that? Yeah. Uh, are they scared for the future of their job if they do admit to it? And to be fair, we've had a fantastic response. You know, People are quite happy to say, yes, it has shaved off hours of my job, right. but it means I can get more done rather than being worried about necessarily the risk it poses to their job.
0: Right, yes. I think,
3: I think in terms of where we go from now, I know it goes uh, general availability in, uh, in a few weeks. So I think uh, we'll be looking at, can we scale the licensing up, get it to more people? Mm. And then we'll get into the discussion about what does that then do for your business model? What does that do for the processes you've got? And uh, we'll be having a look at, yes, we need to prove the benefit, but also how far can we take this?
0: Got it. So Steve, we've come to you um, yeah. just to get a, a different perspective on experimenting with Gen AI at scale and in, and in the wild. Yes. What's, what's your perspective and what are you, and what are you seeing from your seat, particularly from your innovation brief?
5: Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I totally agree with the, 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 the points Firstly, on just scaling in business case, certainly with, with things like Copilot. So that's a very regular conversation I'm having at a moment around that. How do you quantify potential savings and benefits and what does that mean to, to scaling the business case? So that's quite a regular conversation. I think I agree with the approach, really. You know, you've know, you got to kind of step it up and, and be able to quantify that for, for, for your business. I think more generally, generally with Gen AI, um, we're, we're seeing... Probably moving a little bit more from that experimental phase, where people have been playing with the, the technology within their, their their sandpit environments, to start to think about actually, what does this mean organisationally now, and how do we start to scale this across the organisation, and how do we really start to face into some of those those business challenges rather than maybe the experimental side, right? Um, and how does that fit maybe more into the everyday of of, 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 of what we would normally do, rather than it's something off of the side that you know we see it happen far too often with with innovation where it becomes a thing where you experiment but actually then how do you Just move scale. it to scale? Yeah and I think that's we're starting to see people realising we could we could make those same mistakes again that we've made with lots of different innovation POCs if we don't start to think about actually, well what are those value streams and what are those business processes and how are we going to start to think about incorporating it into what we do in the everyday rather than it ends up being something that we do on the side but never scale it back into the business. Well,
0: well Jazz, let's let's pick up on that thread and and sort of move into best practice experimentation then into scaling. So what what best practices have you seen in terms of Gen AI experimentation that has then actually gone somewhere? So probably The biggest one is, is starting with, like
4: you said, the test case, really trying to prove that value out. But when it comes to proving the value, the big piece I personally have seen in this is, is that time savings is very hard to show on the p and So if you've still got the role sitting there doing the work, but now they suddenly have you know, three hours saved because they don't have to do any admin work, that means they're doing other work. You don't actually see a p and benefit. It's nothing's changed. Yeah. But what you will see longer term is more innovation coming out, more thoughts of what could we be doing, how could we improve things. And you know, the ideas that I'm sure most of us have in the back of our head of, I'd love it if I had time to be able to do this. I suddenly have that time now. And I think that's where, from a scaling point, is it's don't get too caught up on the costs necessarily in the early stages. Yeah. It's look to see what starts to come out in terms of that innovative thought that you'll start getting from your teams because now they suddenly have the capacity to uh, actually do it.
2: I mean, there's a big impact there, isn't there, around, if you you think about that, uh, organisational impact on multiple layers. You've got the ability to deliver the technology at scale enterprise-wide, get that right. I think digital taught us we need to change the shape of organisations and how they operate. People are coming off that curve, now AI is arriving, and then you've got the human impact as the end user, where you were picking up about the productivity benefits, What's that mean for the individual? which is another impact. And then you've got the wider thinking differently about the business models it can then generate. So there's a lot happening in the organization. And I often wonder, we talk about cognitive overload at those layers. People, I think, can they cope? Is there too much in the system? I'd be interested in your views around the, the impacts of the multiple layers, what that's changing the organization shape and what that means for the future. And it's all getting rammed in and the pace is accelerating. So it's the can we cope question and what's the action <coughs> on all those layers?
3: I mean, as with any new technology, I think it takes enough. A long in a fairly large business, anyway. I think it takes a long time to work out how can you use this technology to reshape your business. Yeah. There's also something for people, especially with generative AI, about unlearning the old ways of doing things and then relearning <laughs> to use a copilot. Um, I And mean, it's a fantastic term, isn't it? Copilot. It's not. That, and again, this this takes some of the fear away. It's not about replacing the person. Yeah. It's about
2: helping them. Yeah, the mech yeah, yeah. suit for the person. Yeah. A- absolutely. That yeah, and that's,
3: absolutely. that's how we try and pitch yeah. it. Fortunately, we've got a challenge that we need to try and invest more, do more with less. So a, there's there's less of a kind of challenge on us to say you know cut headcount for example, and may much more of a focus on be more productive. Yeah. So that's how we're pitching it. And then then you, then you get into how do you. How do you go after the processes that could benefit from this? Or even, how do you work out which processes could be removed altogether because this technology um, takes us a leap beyond where we were before? I don't have the answers yet. We're, We're having a look at it just now in terms of how we use it. But there's also an element of not getting carried away by the hype. This is a brilliant new technology, but it is a language model. It's about using language in a way we've never done before um, but it's not autonomous agents. You know, We haven't yet got to the stage where, it's say, RPA on steroids, for example, which is what I'm hoping we get to in due course. Yeah. Mm.
0: And, and I, I actually wouldn't mind just delving in a little bit into the organisational points you make there. Like the management of expectations of people in the organisation must be quite tricky about this. And, and the reason I say that is there will be some aspects of the organisation, organisations, both leadership and the main body of practitioners that are like, you're going too slow. This is like, this is where we should be right now. We should be, we should be doing more. I hear that organizations around the world are doing much more than we're doing. And then you've probably got the other end of the spectrum, which is like a little bit cautious, maybe a little bit personally concerned, but also maybe a bit concerned about stability or you know, <laughs> broader issues that we'll come on to shortly that we're all talking about around AI. How have you been managing that?
3: I think um, one of the things we did at first, when we, when we got the, the thumbs up, you know, you're on the private preview, great. Before we kicked it off, um, we made sure that we got executive sponsorship. So at least one person at that level is saying, I'm prepared to put some money into this. The private preview wasn't free, but, uh, but uh, so we got some money into it. And uh, we said, OK, give us a period of time, we'll prove the benefit. Um, so that executive sponsorship, I think, is key uh, just to make sure that um, you're not onto a losing cause right from day one. Um, then the, the, the approach we took was, we thought, well, we need to find champions. This is not an IT-led project. This is a Scottish Water-wide initiative. That's an yeah, important distinction, I think. So we just built, we found the people that were interested. We have got a volunteer. We've got a backlog, actually, of about 80 people who want to get onto the, the preview, but can't just now. So they're really delighted. It's going general availability next month. And then what we do is we build a champion network in different parts of the business. Hmm. So we get people who understand their own processes because they're the people who are going to make the change happen.
0: And, and often when you build things like champion networks and you're trying to deploy new technology, um, it can be an uphill struggle to get people excited about yeah. it. Uh, I remember once deploying IP telephony. That wasn't, that wasn't an excitable group. Let, let's put it like that. There was, there was, there was only... There's only a certain level of excitement you can get into a different type of phone that looks almost exactly the same, but was often not as stable. Um, like the level of excitement in a champion group in your organisation um, around Gen AI, is, I assume that that's a different conversation completely.
3: It's, a, I mean, it's all down to personalities, isn't it? So we've, we've, we've found a scrum master to lead this project who's quite got an infectious personality, drives the project really fast and uh, has got good contacts around the wider business, so she's managed to drum up interest. But what we've done is we've tapped into the success stories, to so the people who've used it to, to change the way they do things, and then we've asked them to replay those success stories as kind of a, a things that we record, we video, we tell stories about them, put it on our intranet, um, and that then gets some excitement elsewhere. I mean, maybe I'm making it sound more excitable than it actually is, but it's... Uh, <laughs> no, no, keep to going. Me, to me, it feels that good. way. It yeah. feels that way in the company because <laughs> people want to tell their stories yeah. and when they yeah, exactly. tell their stories other people go oh i'm missing out here i want to so, try this so you really but, but,
1: created a, a group of ambassadors to to bring it forward inside of the absolutely. organization yeah. 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 but that's
2: to steve's point though. you get a lot of excitement in an organization but it's how do you apply it effectively it goes back to the use case angle isn't it that you it's good to create the outcome to tell a story that people can get excited about because seeing is believing with this sort of technology i've just I've not just read about it, I can see it impacting day to day there. And then that generates the flywheel effect and people start to think about what what can this mean for our
3: organization? And it's also tapping into the pain points. So, So for example, we do investment appraisals for big, big construction projects. These investment appraisals might take three months to get from the idea of a concept all the way through to, yeah, that's fine, that stacks up, the benefits stack up, you've got the go ahead. If we can get that process of three months down to three weeks or even less, by using Gen AI to, to kickstart the process, to review things, check our benefits are right, then, you know, that's a massive incentive for people. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. You raise a good point though, it's one of the bits as well with that, uh, that double-edged sword with the Gen AI, like you said, you, I've seen examples where people have reduced three months worth into, into much shorter periods, is the general way businesses operate is also that sort of outcome driven. Yeah. Whereas suddenly you've now given everybody, you know, 100 uh, interns with photographic memories who can do all that work for you without question. Do we want to do 15 bits of output now? Well, before we used to do one in three months, now we can do 15 in three months. Can the business handle it? I think that's another key bit of it is understanding, yes, we can do all this improvement and optimization, but what does that actually mean for us as a business? Can we even handle
0: the output volume that we can now suddenly achieve because we have an AI doing all the work for us. So, so where do you think, first of all, I love that analogy in terms of like you've now got like an army of interns that have got the knowledge, but perhaps not the experience yeah. to, to deploy that knowledge, which is of where the human comes in. Exactly. Um, what's your thoughts on then the impact that that will have on organizational shapes? Have you seen any, anybody experimenting with new style organizations yet? Personally,
4: no, I haven't seen it, but it is something that is, is discussed, obviously, within the Microsoft realms, but also, again, that's been being discussed with our clients, too, is this, this viewpoint of the way we've been doing business in this sort of internet age, you know, Web 2.0 sort of thing for the last 20 years. Yeah. Well, you've, you've now got this AI model that is, if you think about, let's say, um, this session we're in now, 10 years ago, what would be the topic we'd be talking about? Mm. It would be big data. And big data is going to change the yeah, world, exactly. it's going to do everything. But, the accessibility to use big data is not accessible to everyone, yeah. but the LLM models and the Gen AI stuff, you, you don't need a degree in computer science to be able to use yeah. it. You can turn it on and start using it and it'll do stuff for you straight away.
2: There's a really important point about what caused the last six months acceleration in AI and what we're talking about, it was simply accessibility yeah. for the normal, the, the untrained person to be able to interact with the technology and suddenly the interest explodes, whereas you don't need a degree in data science and AI and ML and data ops to be able to make this stuff work. It was a very technical domain before, and now it's hugely accessible at a great price point, and it's doing tasks that you as the human appreciate. The mech suit point again, isn't it? thats is the uh, It's helping me out day to day, and I'll embrace it. But what, is that, what, what do you
0: think that does, I think that's right, but what do you think that does at scale to organisations? So if, you, if, you've, if you've suddenly got, I don't know, 50% of your... Let's say it's 50%, I don't know whether it's 70%, I don't know whether it's 30 probably depends on the role, Yeah. but what does that then do to the organisation when you multiply that up hundreds and thousands
2: of times? Oh, in the, whole, the whole shape of the org is going to have to change, uh, and roles will change. It, 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 if harnessed properly, productivity will shoot up in particular disciplines, which means there will be a bit of a um, uh, a movement around with staff to maybe do different roles, yeah. or actually it could help the areas in organisations that are under huge stress because there just aren't enough. Um, there isn't enough ability to serve the demand that's coming through the front door, but undoubtedly, as the mastery occurs within the organisation, it's going to, you know, change the way the, shape, the whole shape of the organisation has to be deployed. That's either from the tech teams right up to the, you know, the teams that serve the end user and the end user themselves. I think it is a full stack yeah. impact. It's just how long before we properly understand what that new shape needs to be, and I think there'll be a bit of probing. Well, in it's taken.
0: It's taken the best part of like what well, I don't you know maybe seven or eight years to be able to fully understand what a cloudified you know, technology yeah, operating model, model yeah, looks yeah. like. I was going to say, if you look at, look at Microsoft Teams, yeah, when yeah, that yeah.
4: pre-COVID, there were many businesses I remember dealing with when I was in Avernard who were scared to go onto Teams. Right? They were worried about right. what it meant for their business. Uh, obviously, COVID hit, and the entire globe went work from home in about a week. Nothing like an existential crisis to get <laughs> <No>, technology <laughs> adoption up. That's what I always say. <laughs> exactly, but the technology didn't change. It was exactly the same the day before COVID but then COVID hit but there was a force to use it where the Gen AI models have been very different because it works and it's easy to use that you can now just go and do it and the average person can start using I think this is where that point of what's it going to mean for businesses we haven't seen it yet because ChatGPT4 only came out in March. Yeah. Copilot's still in private preview and it's most businesses same as Scottish Water have only done sort of 100, 200, 300 licenses to test the waters. What does it really mean? Yeah. And I think, and honestly, that's the right approach and what we'll start seeing in the years to come is this new way of how businesses operate where, again, shifting role, shifting mentalities of how you do things and that idea of the annual appraisal of, well, how much did you, did you hit your target of this output? Or mm. well, if I've got a tool that can output... 500 reports for me in a week. Yeah. Well, usually that would take me two years to do. How am I going to be measured on my performance? Right. Because actually the machine doing a lot of that work for me. My role will change fundamentally because I'm not output driven as much anymore.
1: And it will also take take some time before companies are able to adapt, right? Mm-hmm. People need to be trained, need to be moved into a new role. So it will take some time before it really. Productivity will really increase, yeah.
4: And the technology needs to be trusted.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well. it needs to be yeah.
0: tested, trusted, and proven, doesn't it? There's so, still a lot of that. So, John, is anything through through the our very early days yet in terms of your use of Copilot and your experimentation in terms in terms of the sorts of impact we've been talking about? Anything suggesting itself yet, or is it still too early to tell?
3: I mean, and there's. When we talked. To, I think uh, I was on a, a session earlier. we were talking about uh, the idea of making sure you look at security at the start, you look at data integrity and data protection at the start, and they, these are absolute, you know, prerequisites to making sure you get the most out of it. But at the same time. The technology is helping us work out where those vulnerabilities are. You know, so if yeah, someone's, right. right. If someone's searching at their, their whole semantic model and saying, "Show me this stuff," and something pops up they shouldn't see. You know, as long does as does it you keep tell encouraging
0: us. you to adopt more?
3: It, it does. I think it does. That it's, uh, it's a it's kind of a, it's it's not so much a double-edged sword it's two <coughs> swords. You know, so we're, we're, we're actually yeah. you know we're we're tackling different problems by using this, and I think I think that's just going to get better and better for us in terms of uncovering new opportunities but if i do think about the double-edged sword piece then yes there is still fear people are scared by it Um, there's also a a lack of understanding of what it is people understand that there's productivity savings but they don't understand how it works the bias issue is always something that crops up Um, and uh, we're constantly looking at that we've got people who are focused on check-in and rechecking and making sure that the information we get from it is accurate mm. and a lot of the time it isn't accurate. Um, right. Not just right. it's not accurate but it's completely made stuff up and I think if you again if you understand the technology you understand how that happens um, but we want people using it without needing to understand the technology so that means we'll need measures in place to validate content, yeah. validate the stuff that comes out of it, um, check it. We're looking at using it for legal use cases um, so you know, I don't know any of our lawyers who are going to just accept something that comes out of it. They'll want to read it word for word. So.
0: And, and you've been using the concept, I think, of knowledge graphs to 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 help you understand the accuracy and the critical thought that's required. Going yeah, to so, Go into that a little.
3: Yes, yeah, so I think. I mean, the where we are right now is uh, I heard someone else last week talk about the uh, the Gartner model, the hype cycle. So. I think generative AI is at that kind of, if you're familiar with the hype cycle, it's at that peak of inflated expectations. It can do anything, you know? Yeah. And uh, people talk about artificial general intelligence and artificial superintelligence. intelligence. Um, you've got Sam Altman just talking about it recently on the, the Joe, Joe rog- Rogan, Reagan, whatever his Rogan. name is, uh, show, um, which I don't think helps. So we're at that point of it can do anything, but no, it can't. We find their limitations. Um, and I think we're going to get into that kind of trough of disillusionment over the next six months and then, then the slope of enlightenment where people really work out how to take advantage of this technology and what comes next from yeah. it. So, for example, I've seen some great use cases where people are using knowledge graphs in order to bring other data sets in, bring other contexts in, and then use a large language model to do what it needs to do. Don't use it for everything. It's really expensive to use. It's a, a very expensive tool. You know, if you've got facts that you know or answers you've got answered, put them in a database if they're never going to change. Don't keep going back to the LLM. Use knowledge graphs to come up with new use cases. Um, the, I think as, as a technology moves into multimodal, in other words, when it's able to a, a do cloud, media analytics, make better use of video, audio, um, and uh, pictures, um, then again, the use cases start expanding. So I expect to see that being something that we start using in earnest, in the next six months.
0: Steve, have you have you in your with your innovation out, have you been looking at data accuracy and how through experimentation or use of things like
5: knowledge graphs, you yeah, can I, kind of up, up the up the resilience of it. I think the the, the, the most common use case we see every organisation doing is how do you start to use your, you know your own data against an an, an LLM. Um, so that's by far the, the you know the number one use case. Mm. I think that. The point around sort of specifics and different LLMs is is an interesting point as well as well because actually you know we all look at the GPT models and how powerful they are but as you said that they're expensive to run the resources are expensive so actually some of those use cases where you've got very specific models um, for specific use I think we're going to obviously it's great that Microsoft and others are are integrating a wider model set now um, so I think actually starting to look at what are some of those other models that are there specifically for a particular use in a particular use case and how do you use that potentially with with some of your own data as well. I think that's quite an interesting one where we're seeing more and more organisations out there doing it and we'll see third-party companies that are specialising that a little bit more as well. Cool.
0: Well, let's talk specifically about some use cases. Now, uh, Shaoq, you've been looking at some use cases so why yes. don 't we why don 't we take a moment and actually just have a look at a few examples of use cases and then we 'll come back and and go a bit deeper
1: yeah, of course so um, at capgemini, we help a lot of uh, a lot of our customers to transform their business using generative AI so I thought it would be great to share a couple of use cases with you <coughs> so the first one is at Unilever we use it uh, Gen AI to uh, create an AI-enabled content uh, platform. So we integrate GPT-free into their e-commerce platform to automatically create and publish content which is also optimized for search performance. So at Roche, we created a self-service assistant which offers um, a lot of information to patients in their treatment process. So it's a 24-hour available assistant that can give you medical advice medical information and can answer your questions. So at verzekeringskassen we created a service that, gener- uh, that synthetically created data about lungs and teeth. And because of the fact that this data is synthetically created, it can, it can be, it, is, it doesn't fall under the, GP, the GDPR. So it can be used in the application development processes and in the testing processes. Um, At Bayer, we created a solution where we integrated large language models into the system that reason about internal documents and also make all those internal documents available to the employees. And for several of our clients, we created solutions to translate code from one language to another. Like for instance, one client has a decrease in COBOL developers so we created a solution to translate that COBOL code to a much more modern language like Java. And lastly, I want to touch upon Disney, where we integrated a generative AI into their VR solution, and they used that generative AI to also synthetically create data that can be used to test the rights that they have. So if there is dangerous behavior, they can use that synthetic data to let the models uh, adapt to that. So, I have a question for all of you. Do you also see these types of use cases, or do you also see different ones?
0: Giles, why don't you lead us
4: We're seeing all of these, especially the, uh, the vision one as well. That's a big yeah. piece, with, um, especially the manufacturing, being able to provide that extra context where, I mean, everyone's probably heard of IoT and the sensors-driven sort of analytics, but the ability to then have the camera vision over the top of those sensors as well, because there'll be sections of the manufacturing line where sensors can't tell you anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and a prime example would be we saw one use case where as a sensor door was being opened. You look at the statistics and it would say there's something wrong with our sensor doors. Right. But actually what it was is the sensor door is triggering the alarm to stop the machine because someone's then fixing something in the machine that doesn't have a sensor on it. And the camera was the only thing that could provide that extra context, whereas obviously the, the previous mm. IoT sensors didn't. The other one, as well, obviously on the Unilever side with the, the marketing side, is also to just the content internally from a, a, a document management piece. So if you've got recipes, you've got commercials, you've got um, standard operating procedures, extension for maintenance, how do you start to build those into models and use Gen AI to go, right, here's 150,000 different contracts we might have with vendors, where are we weak? Where are we strong? Where can we optimize how this actually looks? Because there's so much variability across the globe, you can start to incorporate
0: it all now. And the sort of business cases that are getting written around them, are they, the, the, the sort of outcomes that you're getting from them give us a sense of from, from good enough to sort of pass the red face test through to wildly successful, broadly, what's the spectrum looking like?
4: very hit and miss in terms of, yeah. of, of, of how they go and I think the, the biggest challenge out of all of them whether they've been successful or not has been the data so if the data is poor you're going to get poor results yeah. it's always been the case with any AI model whether it's gen AI or not um, where I think the biggest realisation is that all of the use cases I've seen had is that realisation of actually it's not a silver bullet mm. it's not going to fix everything and we can just forget the problems that might live in that SQL server that sits in the basement sort of thing. right yeah it's It's about really understanding how do our processes work internally and then going and deploying it. And I think then where it's been very successful is on that content creation piece from taking vast swaths of information that they do have and going, how do we make a consensus of 50,000 documents into one standard way of actually talking about it? And I think that's been the really big use case, is just that ability to go, we had twenty people doing this before, now we have one, yeah but, absolutely, it, but it can hold all that context
0: and, and it's the speed to that
4: yeah,
5: yeah. I, I mean it's something like recipes there you go, okay, you know, it makes sense, you can generate some content, but you start to unpick it and think what's beyond the possibilities you know you get into combining social listening data um so you know, what's in vogue in the market, what might people want to eat, depending on just general social listening and and trends we're seeing. Also things like food waste as well. Mm. So how can you start to look at, you know, Unilever as an example, there might be surplus stock in certain places in certain countries that then you can target recipes to to obviously help move some of that stock and reduce food waste. So you can take something that actually, you know, generating recipes sounds fairly straightforward, but the, the, the value stream, again, of way you can go with that is, is really quite interesting. Oh, and even interesting.
4: also being able to add in the, the cultural sensitivities, obviously, yeah, obviously yeah. you know different so regions can't have t- particular foods. Yeah.
5: It sounds like you're
2: setting up for a prediction, though, there, and everybody loves a good tech prediction and they're always bang on and everybody's always right. But the, um, you, the, 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 the use case you started to te- tease out there about AI starting to permeate throughout all the systems. We still have these big core transactional systems that run the business model and AI is very much helping on the the fringe ask you for a prediction what do you think the timeline is before something like ai gets to an advanced level where it can replace an erp platform with a different way of working right right through the business yeah
0: and and presumably with with a case study like that a prediction like that what you're actually doing is taking something that's very process bound at the moment yes you know so works in a series of and let's be charitable and let's say journeys but actually what we what we know it is is a relatively old school process yeah drumbeat type digitized yeah. rather than digitalized what, do, what does an, yeah what does an AI driven organization actually begin to look like do we think do you want to do you want to have a first punt at it John
4: okay.
3: good look, good so, with that so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah the, lucky John yeah. ERP. <laughs> I don't know, I'll, I'll pick a date. Well, Sam Altman said 2031 for the you know, artificial superintelligence, oh, so well, I'll yeah. say 2030 then for the ERP.
0: The year before the <laughs> ERP, one year later. So we'll get ERP just before the superintelligence kicks Maybe, in. Yeah. 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 It's a good one. I think,
3: I mean, I think um, we, we still need... I mean, these, these line of business systems, they, they do one function really well, they capture data, and that data needs to be accurate, and that data feeds AI. So... Um, I can't see an easy road to getting rid of them. It's more the processes around them, and that's coming back to yeah. more the AI agents. So I think the next generation of, I think gen AI will move into probably um, autonomous AI. So the ability to, for AI to run agents that do the job of humans, or that are able to understand the process of capturing data and the life cycle of data, yeah. and yeah. do that for us. I think when so, that becomes so a reality- AI is,
0: AI is team member, Versus AI as uh, co-pilot. co-pilot.
3: Perfect. Yep, that's it. Steve,
0: do you want to pick up on that
3: thread? No, I, I, I,
5: yeah, I think it's a good analogy. I think it's, it's that's, that's the point, isn't it? If we think about things like high-performing teams, um, you know, where do we get to that point where AI could could ha- you know we think about the makeup of a high-performing team is empathy, you know, is understanding each other's needs and and how we work together, and it feels like we're probably a little little way off um yeah. you know the ai being able to act as that member of a team um but I'm, I'm not silly enough dave to make any kind of date prediction around that i'll leave i'll leave that one well alone but um <laughs> <yeah>. very wise <laughs> yes.
0: is, yeah. is yeah. that exactly. just because you don't want the ai to keep an eye on you exactly yeah exactly yeah,
5: yeah. That. yeah. Well, rob's already
0: far too deep into that so, uh, <laughs> there's no reason picking that uh giles what do you think in terms of big future organization changes like ERP disappearing?
4: I I think we won't see an ERP disappear. I think we'll see what we see as ERP today disappearing. And so what I mean by that is, if you think about the Gen AI, it will do a lot of the pieces that everyone's just talked about. I think what it will start to open up though is that the fact that a lot of the automation pieces that don't happen at the moment with ERP, like pulling out reports, Mm. running the numbers, doing the, the, the documentation on what those numbers then mean, lots of those steps then can start being automated, which means teams can start to discuss the results more than doing all the pre-work to get to that result. Yeah, you know, yeah. Instead of 90% of your time being building the report, getting the, the data together, it's 90% on what do we do with this information now. And having Gen AI help support that decision-making will be what I think ERP will become. And that's what Gen AI is going to help
0: with. Good note to end on. I think in terms of understanding then the, the path between the, the early experiments that we're, that we're seeing now and then actually how that, how that could become more of an organism across an organization. And I know I'm, I'm particularly fascinated to see how that starts to evolve. Is, is it going to be platform thinking? Is it going to be actually a next, a next generation of even how, how we consume technology within organizations? So watching this space of, with interest on that. Um, but we end every episode of the normal podcast show by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next and that can be something like i've got a great restaurant booked at the weekend or it could be uh, something that's exciting in their professional life so john what are you excited about doing next
3: I think, um, I'll stick to AI, I'll keep it, there's, I have no restaurants booked for the next couple of days, you know, so um, <laughs> I, I think the, the AI agents, that's the one that excites me, I think when AI gets to a point where it can do the human job, it's right. also a scary prospect, um, because that's when it really does impact, you know, the, the structure of So you've got the
0: super you know. intelligence pegged at 2031, yeah. you've got the ERP replacement pegged 30, at 2030, yeah. where are you on the spectrum between... You know, here and then for that
3: AI agents, Say, I would say probably within three years. Right. Yeah, I think that probably sounds about right, doesn't it? Autonomous agents, three years. Yeah. yeah. And how, is that, how do you think that will show up in your
0: in your day to day?
3: So one example of we, we've got a we've got a knowledge intranet we call Scotty, and right. um, I see it as being essentially a, a kind of Scotty agent. You know, that, that will do the job of anybody, even even in the field. Someone says to Scotty, you know, not beat me up, but yeah. But <laughs> take a photograph of an excavation, show me what's next in here, and it just says, do this, do this, do this, do this. Right. Um, By integrating with ERP and all the other systems, um, looking at media analytics, says, I'm not sure about this, take a photo. Oh, yeah, that valve is such and such, you need to do this to it. You've not got the spare part in your van, but someone else has, I'll get it sent to you.
0: Well, and to to Steve's point on, um, you know, AI as team member versus copilot, you also then have the potential to have Scotty not only out with your field force and practitioners, but it could be in your boardroom. That's it,
3: yeah.
0: You know, like Scotty tell us the
4: predictions like for the the mascot,
3: yeah, just sitting in a chair. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Giles, what are you excited about doing next? Uh, very similar. Uh, in honesty, when um, ChatGPT4 came out in March, I asked a lot of questions about Star Trek's engine, and he raised Scotty. Because um, obviously, if you look at the computer, it's a very similar thing in terms of what ChatGPT is. It's obviously yeah. a very early stage. And one of the bits I think it came out with was obviously w- there's no chat function yet. There is a chat function now. It's been released right. yeah. from March to now. Was it six months? It's already got the, the chat function. I'm looking forward to seeing similar the sort of the, the AI bots. How does that deal with a chat functionality and help in anything from mental health side of things to work related issues? Because obviously, if you've suddenly got uh, an AI agent that you can talk to and any sort of form of language you want to right. or help respond to that I think that's going to be incredibly powerful
0: yeah it's all about nuance that for me I think you know the, it, 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 a little bit like your comment earlier about you can you, you know, do you want to ask a graduate that question with all due respect to graduates so do you want to ask a you know, 20 year experienced GP that question yeah well that's, and that's where you can Tell the model
4: you are now a twenty-year experienced yeah, yeah. G- yeah. You know, yeah. practitioner of this. Act like it. Yeah. Act Act like like it. <laughs> yeah. Tell me to go and pay for it. Again. Yeah. 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 I think, and I mean, that's the, the learning that's going to come with this because it is so new. And I think a lot of even myself, I sometimes forget it came out in March was ChatGPT four. You know, that's seven months ago. You know, and, and some of this technology, like we look at, just web development, you know, really has been around for years, and it, you still see terrible websites. Yeah, this yeah. is seven months old and it's everywhere.
0: Yeah.
4: Um, so you, you're going to get a lot of rubbish coming out, but you'll also get a lot of gems coming out. And I think it's just test it and give it time and, and know that it is, to remember, it's seven months old.
5: Shall oh, I Steve? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, well, I'll do two. I'll do a, an AI one as we're, as we're yeah, on the thing. I'll, I'll, I'll do a personal one to keep it a bit lighter. I I, I mean, probably just following the same theme, really. I, I've, for me, it's without being too deep, it's the, the positive impact on humanity that we we can see with some of this this technology so i mean jensen touched on it in the in the keynote earlier but you know if we're starting to use visual learning and and obviously models acting like a a, you know a a seasoned um healthcare professional to 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 dictate types of cancer i think the potential for where we could go with this technology and and the positive impact on on humanity um you know is 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 fantastic Um, On a slightly lighter note, um, I'm looking forward to the rugby at the weekend. So, uh, Uh, um, and and hopefully England being in the final the following weekend, so uh, fingers crossed. You never know, uh, miracles
2: may happen. Yeah, there we go. That's a mighty prediction. It
5: is a mighty prediction, yes, yeah.
0: Well, uh, a good conversation this afternoon, everybody. Thank you so much for your time and insight. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: A huge thanks to our guests this week, John, Giles and Stephen. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks also to our sound and editing wizards, Ben and Louis, the AV team at the conference and our supportive producer, Marcel, and of course, to all of our listeners. We're on LinkedIn and X, Dave Chapman, Rob Kernahan and Xiao Zaal. Feel free to follow or connect with us and please get in touch if you have any comments or ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you in another reality next week.